You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. This is Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. You know what? We're up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and we are recording a special cider episode. Uh, last fall, I was at the Cider Days in Franklin County, Massachusetts, and we were inspired by one of the cider dinners and uh, at our fall cider feast in Boston with uh, Pete from Bird Dog and Gift from Butternut Farm Cider House and Eleanor from Eden Ciders. We started talking about doing a, a small, hyperlocal, regional cider dinner. And here we are today at the Stone's Throw Cider Supper at the Press Room in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So that's our little intro. Armin, I know you're going to clean it up. So everything's running good. And I promise you I'm recording. Okay. <laughs> so here we are. So let's go. Th- we're going to go around the room and in- everyone introduce themselves. Say your name and uh, where you work just so everybody can hear your voice. My name is Giff Burnap from Butternut Farm Cider House in Farmington, New Hampshire. My name is Zach Cardona, and I'm the chef at the press room in Portsmouth. And I'm Pete Endress. I'm the uh, owner and cider maker at Bird Dog Farm and Cidery in Greenland, New Hampshire. And Eleanor Leger from Eden Ciders up in Vermont. All right. This is great. I've really been looking forward to this. I think we'll start with Pete. Pete, um, we started talking about this last fall, and you, and you jumped on and introduced us to our friends in, in the press room um, here in Portsmouth. What goes into planning a cider dinner? Because I think it, it, what I realized going to Cider Days this year, last year, was that the wine and cider are very similar and that they really fit at a meal. And I, I took some bottles of cider home from Ragged Hill and had Headwaters in West County, and um, I served them at my Thanksgiving table and my Christmas table. And I realized that that, they, that was really the palate and, and you know, the, the, what I wanted from a, a, a table, almost a table wine. Um, so first we'll start with this, what goes into planning a cider dinner, a little bit about this event, and then we'll ask each of the cider makers and the chefs act just about some specific pairings to get, to get us interested. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, to boil it down into simple terms, you probably just need a couple things. One is cooperation from some friends, um, which fortunately we had come together uh, with this group that's all talking uh, right now. Uh, you know, people who share a passion for cider, uh, that was mainly what was driving this. Um, but more so than that, you you know, there's an interest and awareness in the combination of cider and food. And I, so I think that's the second element of it's just some open mindedness about how um, cider uh, relates to food. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it's got so many similarities to wine. I think some people get that and a lot of people don't quite uh, know that yet. And so that's what this dinner is all about is, you know, educating people about that and also just having a good time. You know, Eleanor, um, we've known each other a long time and, and done a lot of events and talked about this, but what, what's the first thing you'd tell people about pairing cider and, and food and um, why it belongs at the table? Um, cider has this wonderful um, 
mid-palate range of flavor. What I mean by that is think of like white wine with fish, red wine with red meat. But cider does this vast amount of flavors in the middle. Um, and when you get to the, you know, the end of like dry, high acid, sparkling cider, it goes incredibly well with fish. <laughs> but you can get a really heavy tannic um, dry cider that goes great with steak like the way, and or high acid the way they do it in Spain. Um, and so it's really... Um, uh, uh, incredibly versatile um, with food flavors. And, you know, when I, what I wish people would just take away very simply is like, if you're in the mindset of I keep it simple, white wine with fish, red wine with red, um, with red meat, cider with pork <laughs> and vegetarian food, like bar none, it's the best. Well, that's a great intro to tonight's dinner. And now Giff, to us, you're a new guy, um, but you've been here for a while. Tell us about this region. Cause we're actually focusing on the seacoast region of New Hampshire tonight. Well, uh, the region here is great. It's, it's a good spot for growing fruit. I'm mostly a fruit grower that got into cider making from that background. Um, right up in Farmington, New Hampshire. We're about a half hour due north of Portsmouth. So we still get that ocean influence uh, moderating our climate. Uh, and we're on the foothills of the mountains here. So um, it's a really good spot for growing fruit, good soils, and, uh, you know, making cider at our farm and selling it to our customer base just kind of made sense to me. So we've gotten into that and have been making and selling cider for about, for about five years now. And uh, give, just tell us what brought you here and then also Pete. Uh, oh, Pete brought me here tonight to this event. That's for sure. He's a good friend of mine and he asked me to come along, which is great. Uh, but I moved here from Western New York as a fruit. I was a fruit grower, grew up there, uh, kind of under, under an apple tree, I like to tell people. Um, and ended up going to college out here at UNH and grew some roots here and, and moved back after college. All right. So this is a hyper-local. One of the first, to me, the first tenets of doing a good cider dinner is you want to have regional cider makers and some hyper-local food. And here's their chef, Zach uh, Cardona, at the press, press room. He's going to tell us a little bit about some of the food that's on the menu tonight and the sourcing, because I think it's important to have uh, local farms involved. Yeah, um, it's my first time doing something like this here at the press room. Um, I know Pete uh, and you reached out to Tristan and talked about it, and um, you know I was excited to to be a part of it and, and learn some more about ciders. Um, and then you know the the stone's throw aspect of it and the the hyper regionality. Um, we go through, or I went through uh, Three Rivers Farm Alliance, which is local, um, and it's great because you have a multiple different farms and, and purveyors going through the one source. So it, it kind of streamlines things for me. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's tricky this time of year, but uh, we went with uh, mostly root vegetables. Um, we've got some great beets from Three Rivers Farms. Um, so we could call this the beet and cider dinner. <laughs> beet and cider, <laughs> yeah. We're going to drop some beets tonight for sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it just gave me some time to, to play around. And I know um, when I was talking to Peter, he said that um, because of what uh, what Eleanor mentioned, the range of, of ciders uh, as far as the palate goes, um, I could really, you know, creative license to, to go in whatever direction. Um, so yeah, we've definitely got some beets on there. I've got some great uh, local mushrooms uh, from Dunk's Mushrooms. Um, and then Burden Family Farms coming through in the clutch um, with their uh, donating the chickens. So, um, yeah, uh, hopefully uh, everyone enjoys and I can get to learn some more about some ciders tonight. So, 
Well, that's definitely the way to do it is you have to, you have to learn about pairings. You have to do it. And I think of how many years you're drinking something and you, and you try out different foods to see what goes with it. Um, this is just the beginning stages, right? And Pete, for you, I mean, again, you were passionate about doing this event tonight, pairing food and ciders. What are you looking forward to tonight? I'm looking forward to everything. Uh, Zach put together an amazing menu um, that I'm really excited to try. So kudos to you, Zach. And I appreciate, um, you know, everyone's interest in just being uh, creative and pulling something like this together. Um, and hopefully we can make a, a good little tradition out of it here going forward. I think there's already some interest in doing that. So, yeah, mostly I'm interested in some some good food and uh, a good experience and with people who are like minded and, you know, are looking for something similar. So what, what's one of the pairing? I know that you came up with the cider pairings between your ciders and Butternut Farm Cider House and Eden's. Uh, tell us about one of the pairings that appealed to you and what you're serving with it. Ah, well, I, w- I will say I'm very fortunate to have Eleanor here as a guide and a, and a mentor. She's got a huge amount of experience in this area that's, uh, that uh, vastly exceeds mine. So thank you, Eleanor. Um, but I uh, want, okay, I'll give you one example. Um, you know, I, I, I make a Kingston Black cider. Kingston Black is a, is a famed English cider apple that's known for being tannic and a great combination of acid as well. It's, that's why it's used as a single varietal a lot of times. Um, and that tannin structure, um, I find, pairs well with some nice like soft cheese and cream dishes. So we happen to have, you know, a goat cheese uh, appetizer here for uh, the, the start of the meal. And that's why we chose the Kingston Black for that. Another pairing. <laughs> so I'm really kind of excited about the beets. Um, and salad is something that's notoriously difficult to pair wines with, right? Because vinegar. <laughs> and, but I saw in the description of what's going with the beets, mandarin, right? And some other little things in there. And I brought a cider that has, is from just the uh, fruit from our farm that has a lot of rubinet in it. And rubinet is an apple. It's a, it's not a cider tannic apple. It's a culinary apple that has a lot of tangerine quality to it that comes through in this particular cider. And I was just thinking the mandarin and the tangerine, and it's a dry, high acid, not, not terribly tannic cider, um, which I'm, I'm just super curious to see if it works well or not. <laughs> And I'll, I'll give a shout out just to the, the network, the Three River Farms Alliance and the Seacoast Eat Local Markets and Heron Pond a Farm Stand in Southampton. And when I'm up here, that's where I get all my food. Right around the time of the pandemic, my kind of journey to New England was was realizing that I'd be eating beets and onions <laughs> and some sweet potatoes for like three or four months of the winter. And I came to love it, but I also realized that now I can't I can't buy nor eat a beet or an onion from a supermarket. So the the reason to, to have beets tonight is it's exciting. But that really is the winter bounty of this region, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, like I said, it can be uh, you know challenging sometimes, but it's there's a million different ways to do it. I've I've got you know beet marmalade on there. I've got some pickled beets in another dish, and I've got you know just classic straight up roasted. Um, so you can you can play a, 
a couple of different ways with it and have some fun and kind of test some boundaries and stuff like that too. Um, and that's what, you know, I've found in my experience, winter is, is always good for that. Cause you, you try to stay, uh, you know, within your season as, as much as you can, as well as you can. Um, and it, it, uh, you end up coming up with some, some new creative things that I probably would have never thought of before. So it's, it keeps it interesting. That's great. And GIF, we'll go around the room and ask about some of the ciders that you guys brought tonight. So GIF, a little bit more about your cidery. So you're saying you're mostly encouraging people to come to your, your farmhouse. So what, what cider did you bring tonight? Well, uh, yeah, we're a very small cider maker, uh, making about 3,000 gallons a year and selling just direct to customers right at the farm. Um, what we made every year, uh, we make one bottle of cider every year. And, and this year's is called the Homesteader. Uh, I, I think it's reminiscent of a cider that maybe the 19th century homesteading farmers may have drank. Um, barrel aged, uh, um, made in their basement uh, with some tannic and uh, dessert acidic varieties mixed in. Uh, and I think it turned out pretty good. Uh, I'm excited to see what everybody else thinks of it tonight. And uh, I'm still very young as a cider maker and learning tremendous amounts every year. Um, but it's just exciting to be here and be part of this crew. Great. What, what uh, dish is that paired with? Mm. Pete? What, what uh, in the second part of the appetizers. And we, we actually paired it with one of my ciders, which is also a barrel fermented uh, cider. And um, the cool thing here, Gift mentioned, you know, it's sort of reminiscent of like colonial uh, uh, America when cider was very rich in tradition and very popular. Uh, and I, I've named that cider Deacon John, my, my cider, which is, which is actually named after an American colonialist who lived on our property where we farm now. So, so Pete, how did you find property? I mean, this is New England. It's like the East Coast. Uh, who comes in and buys a farm and starts turning it into an apple orchard? Uh, well, yeah, in this sense, I've got another good mentor in the room, Gif Gif Burnap, Gif did not mention earlier that he and I are actually longtime family friends. He, our families are both from apple farming backgrounds and we grew up on neighboring farms. So we share many stories back in the day, riding uh, you're near Rochester, New York, a little town called Sodus, which is known as apple country in upstate New York. You know, so we got lots of, lots of good stories, uh, cruising through the orchards and late nights and so forth. But, um, you know, Gif, uh, led the way here. He's got a wonderful model. Uh, not just for cider, but for a retail farm. And that's, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, in being, uh, having to be adaptive and creative, creative in agriculture these days to make it. And cider is a nice diversified product that you can add. Gifts done that. And um, that's what we're trying to do in our location as well. We are fortunate that we, after five years of searching, we found a, a gem of a property in Greenland. And uh, we're very fortunate to be there. And we, yeah, we've got a small orchard that we've planted. Uh, last spring, we planted 600 trees that are all on uh, dwarfing rootstock. So this is a modern, uh, high-density trellised orchard. We don't have a lot of land to work with, so we got to make use of what we got. Uh, and this spring, we'll add another 300, and then another 600 next spring, and we'll just kind of keep expanding the farm. Yep. So I, I know you're out there. You've been to Cider Feast events with me. I know you're you're selling. Out, off outside of your property, I know you're in some farm stands like Vernon Farm. Um, wh how do you see the, this market and and you know the work that you're doing to to grow your brand as as a like a you know farm orchard based cider person? 
Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's easy, um, but it's, uh, you know, what's really valuable about an area like this is you have um, a customer base, and GIF can attest to this way better than I can, but you've got a customer base that's interested in high quality products and on top of that, an experience with their products. So they want to come to the farm, they want to have that experience, and that is wonderful for a farmer. But it also creates a challenge in that you have to, you have to foster that experience, you have to maintain it um, and, and not take it for granted. Um, so it's, it's challenging, but it's also a, a bright spot, I think, in agriculture because it allows um, the, the farmer to directly, um, you know, uh, network with their customer and not have any wholesaler in between and hopefully support their, their livelihood out of it. Zach, as a chef, I mean, are, are, do you guys have a lot of cider coming through here? Are there any places that you go out and get cider in your, you know, daily living? <laughs> um, no, not since I, actually not since I was a kid. We go to Applecrest, which is uh, kind of local. Um, you know, I have a daughter. We we've gone a couple times uh, in the summer, late fall, to get to you know get the fresh cider and stuff like that, but. Um, growing up around here, yeah, it was it was always kind of a staple that time of year when it came around, uh, always exciting. Um, but yeah, mostly uh, me being a part of this tonight, I'm learning so much already. Um, so uh, part of the reason I was really excited to do it was to get a little more in depth, uh, you know, round out my knowledge of it a little more. So I'm just soaking it all in right now. <laughs> well, that's great. I guess, Pete, our, your idea is already successful in that we've got putting cider in front of a chef and we're, we're talking about it. Eleanor, um, for you, you know, you, your role, how do you see New England for cider? I mean, I'm, I'm loving it more than ever. There's so many indie makers. It's, it's, I feel like it's the most exciting region in hard cider right now. Well, you know, um, it's definitely one of the most. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and I think um, part of it is the number of different varieties of apples that you can find here. Um, just because apple, you know, the the colonists landed here first <laughs> and um you know there were there was just an explosion of genetic diversity in apple varieties here because people were planting seeds and not cloning and so there are just all these incredible varieties way beyond what people are used to seeing in a grocery store so you know apples that have if you think of typical grocery store apple being sort of 12 to 13 percent sugar and some nice acidity we grow apples you know, old-time apples, Roxbury, Russet, Blue Permane, that can be 18, 19, 20% sugar and have so much more flavor. Um, and so it's, I think you get lots of small-scale cideries like us getting super excited because the raw material that we work with is just so incredible. That's and, and, and that flavor you're referencing comes through in the cider. It, it survives the fermentation and you can taste the difference the apple makes. It's fantastic. Yeah. Giff, you mentioned that you're planning a an event with the New England Historical Apples? Uh, oh, yeah, the New England Apple Association. I, I sit on the board of that uh, organization. It's, it's a grouping of New England farms to promote New England apples, uh, and we're having an event at uh, Butternut Farm on May 13th, Saturday. So pray for good weather on that day. We're going to have some guest cideries there uh, sampling and selling their products. We're going to have a farmer's market. We're going to have other vendors, food trucks, um, the New England Apple Museum is going to be there, which is a product of the New England Apple Association. There's going to be some speakers. Um, so it's going to be an exciting day. Um, I'm look, really looking forward to it. Zach, have you ever heard of the New England Apple Association? 
No, but as uh, Gif mentioned it, I was trying to envision what a, a board meeting looks like. Um, <laughs> I, I, again, I'm learning so much. I, you know, I, I knew uh, apples were definitely a New England thing, but um, getting into the different varieties and then thinking about that, if they're planting by seed, the genetic diversity, and it, it seems like you guys have a lot of uh, tools uh, available um, to, to do some more interesting stuff and get away from like a mass-produced, you know, two flavors, or, and that's all, all anyone gets. So, um, yeah, maybe this is this will be... The, my summer of cider, I'll, I'll really get into it. <laughs> well, you should. And then, so at this New, New England Apple Association, when you take votes on the board, do you guys stand up and move to one side of the room? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, recently it's just been all over Zoom. Um, so there's no standing up, moving around the room. But um, yeah, we're a pretty good group. We get along pretty well. And usually we're all unanimous in our decision making. Oh, great. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Support us and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. So here we are at the press room in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, March 6th, 2023. We're doing our first Stone's Throw Cider Supper with some great uh, New England cider makers and local food from some of the farms around the seacoast in New Hampshire. Um, back to cider pairings. This is the exciting part. Like I said, we had been at Cider Days last fall in Western Mass. Eleanor, and, and there were a great number of women cider makers there. It was a very cool dinner and it kind of inspired us to realize, wow, we need to put cider into chef's hands and, and you know, start thinking about, you know, cider at the table. The same way that wine, you know, evolved in the 70s with uh, Robert Mondavi. He used to, you know, California wine was not considered very good. And he made a point of going to nice restaurants and, and, and hosting dinners. And I feel that I'm telling you, Cider guys, you got to do more dinners and you got to work with chefs if you want to end up in restaurants and on-premise accounts. Um, Eleanor, some favorite pairings that we've had. Let's go through the basics. So if I'm doing a cider dinner, and I know uh, Pete recommended this too, it's like cider and cheese is kind of like the the cider pairing 101, isn't it? Yeah, that's the, you can be blind and deaf and numb and, and like not go wrong. <laughs> cider and cheese, yep. Any kind of cheese, any kind of cider, it's all good. And then Pete, Pete you had mentioned that too, the first thing right away. Like if I'm going to have a cider bar or a farmhouse dinner, you're probably going to have cheese, right? Absolutely. You got to have, you got to have cheese that goes with cider. Yep. No doubt about it. 
And it doesn't matter what cheese. I mean, is, is cheese cheese as forgiving as cider or is cider as forgiving? It's really interesting. I, I don't remember this, who the, who the chef is, but some somebody did a study of like beer and cheese pairings versus cider and cheese pairings. And they said every once in a while you can find a beer and cheese pairing that's just amazing. But every cider and cheese pairing works well. Like there's nothing that's awful. Um, so... Well, it's like in beer, it's Garrett Oliver's, one of his classic beer pairings was always a really good barley wine with like a Stilton blue blue cheese. And that's a specific one. Um, but I, I, I kind of know what you're saying. I, I'll take ice cider with blue, with blue cheese over barley wine any day. <laughs> and then so we are starting with a, there's a camembert and mushrooms appetizer that Zach has. What cider is going with that? I think we're... Yeah, we've got the, the two barrel-aged ciders, Gifts uh, Homesteader and, and Bird Dogs uh, Deacon John that are going with those. Can I ask about that? The barrel-aged cider, the old-fashioned kind, is that like you can take a really tannic or acidic cider and put it in barrel and then it, it evolves? It, it, what, what, what's the premise of that old kind of style? Uh, the, the oak in the cider, putting it in a barrel, um, softens. Uh, the acidity, in my experience, with, with cider. And and I, we did not ferment our cider in the barrel. We fermented it in stainless and then moved it into the barrel for some aging. Um, and and it's amazing what barrels can do for cider, in my opinion. it's It always comes out better than it goes in. And what kind of barrels? Oh, rum barrels. This one was aged in rum barrels. So, and this is similar to what was happening in the 19th century? I think it probably was, yeah. I think uh, they got their barrels probably from uh, the distilleries. Um, and they came first it goes to bourbon, then the rum makers get their hands on them, and then they go out for sale to other people like us. And I think it was probably the same back in the 19th century as it is now. Yeah, b- barrels are interesting because you can pull not only oak, but like Gifts talking about, you know, the f- flavor profile from something that was in it before, assuming it was a used barrel. So whether that's rum or in my case, I'm for my Deacon John cider, I'm using uh, some old apple brandy barrels, uh, which are from um, uh, Shelburne Orchards up in Shelburne, Vermont. It's a friend uh, who makes dead bird brandy. Um and they are, they're actually, um, they've been through a couple rounds of cider. So in my opinion, they've probably pulled most of the brandy out and are becoming a little bit more neutral, but you're still going to get some oak. And in particular, out of the barrel, you're going to get oxidation more so than in stainless. And so I think that helps deepen the flavor profile a little bit. So that's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty neat what you can do in barrels if you can. Zach stepping out. Chef Zach, thanks so much. Looking forward to dinner tonight. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, pleasure to be here, and I'm excited. Let's have a good night. All right. And then, Eleanor, back to these special. <laughs> so intro, cider parents, uh, cider and cheese. A more sophisticated pairing. I remember you, we quoted you a few years ago in an article. Um, you were with uh, Jordan Barry, who now writes for Seven Days Vermont. Um, what did she pair with your, your Cinderella? So your Cinderella slipper, you're serving tonight. Tell us what that cider is and tell us that ultimate pairing, <laughs> which I love. Okay, so Cinderella Slipper is a cider that is very near and dear to my heart. It's 100% our own fruit from our own orchard, and it's a completely still dry natural cider. All we do is press a field blend, put the juice in a tank, lower the lid after active fermentation, come back a year later and 
rack, put it right into the bottle. No racking, filtration, and sulfur, anything. Um, we have a lot of tannic and acid and high flavor apples, and it's got a lot of complexity to it. It's always slightly funky, but it's great with food, and it's enough oomph to stand up to a lot of things, including that amazing pairing, which was bone marrow. <laughs> <laughs> and as the night wore on and things got even more excited, this was a fantastic Filipino restaurant in New York. Jeepney, no longer there. Oh, yeah, but it was wonderful. And uh, we were doing bone marrow sliders where you pour the Cinderella slipper in one end and it slides down the bone with the marrow into your mouth. Yeah. That was I got to read this quote. This is from that. We poured the dry still cider down the bone to pull out the last bits of marrow. That sounds like poetry to me. It's like food porn. Come on. <laughs> and they peep for you. Another. So this is, we're going in the Vernon Farms chicken. I mean, wow. That's going to be with the Cinderella slipper. But just tell us about your relationship with that farm. And, you know, what flavors, you know, chicken and cider, like what goes on in your mouth? Yeah. No, I have to say, I have to give Vernon, first off, a lot of credit. They've, they're doing a wonderful job um, highlighting what agriculture can be in a, you know, a thriving sort of a creative way. And they, their contribution to the dinner tonight was, was really generous. So we appreciate that. Um, and I also have to give credit to Eleanor in terms of the pairing here, because I was going to just sort of dial it back a little bit with a classic dry cider for the, the chicken dinner. And she inspired me to not do that. And so I brought in my third cider, which is called Country Gold, which is a sparkling uh, dry cider. that has got a little bit of residual sugar, but it's still dry. And it's focused on the golden russet, um, which is a great, wonderful aromatic apple um, with a lot of acid and it's high alcohol. It's an 8.9% cider. Um, and it's got a little bittersweet in there too. So you get a, a little bit of tannin and I think it'll be a nice pairing, especially it, it, I hope it goes well with, um, Cinderella's slipper as well. That's my hope. So we're excited to offer a still and a sparkling with yeah. the chicken and, and also give people a chance to, you know, taste one versus the other and see which pair is better. It'll be a throwdown. We'll see who, see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> then how are you guys going to interact? I mean, there, there's a chef, there's, there's some servers. I mean, what? What's your approach to, to this kind of, it's, it's more of a, you know, family style meal, but it's still a restaurant. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're, we don't, I don't think any of us want to get in the way. Um, I think this is about like, you know, the folks who've signed up for this, they're obviously interested for their own reasons. And I'm sure they're interested in learning about the ciders. And so we'll help educate them and, and tell them about things um, as much as we can. But uh but other than that, probably try to stay out of the way. Will you have fun tonight or are you just working? I'm going to have a ton of fun tonight. Yeah. This, this is what makes our jobs fun. This is the best part. So now this is the, so I heard you guys talking before. What is the weirdest pairing that comes out of Vermont? <laughs> You're talking about some kind of creamy thing. What, what, what was that you were telling us about? Because I think that might be going on when it gifts donuts sometime. <laughs> we, we have something in Vermont called a creamy, which is our word for soft serve ice cream. But a maple creamy is the specialty of Vermont where real Vermont maple syrup gets into the soft serve ice cream recipe. Um, and then one of our wonderful orchard partners, Jessica Yates, does a dreamy, which is a creamy on a donut. So donut and creamy dreamy. 
And then Gif, you, you do make cider donuts because that, that's also, I think it's an easy thing when, you, when you're saying a cider event or a dinner, a lot of people assume that there's going to be a cider donut. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have any here tonight. I, I, I missed that memo, I guess, to bring the donuts. But uh, yeah, donuts are a big draw for sure in New England agriculture. Um, if you're going to be ha have an apple orchard, you kind of have to have donuts to go with it. And that brings us back to the uh, now the, the ice cider pairing. That's where we're going. So when we talked about the ice cider, of course, you know, both Pete and I were like, you got to have Eleanor's ice, Eden ice cider. But what is the pairing? And, and for like, for a lot of chefs, they don't know, they're not familiar with it. So I asked you and you suggested a couple things that might've had nuts in them. Yeah. What did I say? Some kind of French walnut tort. Oh yeah. Walnut tort. That was one. Uh, anything creamy or cakey. So creme brulee, cheesecake, pound cake, apple cake, all that stuff, all the apple tarts, pear tarts, fruit tarts, and then things with walnuts and nuts. And then the, the, Stupid easy thing is salted caramel. Wow. And then uh, so Chef Zach came up with a really neat dessert, the cranberry spice cake, which sounds perfect. So how is that going to pair with, you know, when I think of ice cider wine, most people don't know what to think. I know that at our events, whenever you have your ice cider, it's the one thing that everyone buys. <laughs> um, so obviously it's not sticky sweet. It's not the dreamy that you were talking about from, it's not coming out of a soft serve. Um, so what, you know, what, what is your ice cider? How, how do you, and, and Pete too, how do you tell someone what about ice cider is? I, you know, I want to taste it and that's the way I learn, but how do you tell someone about it so they don't think it's something too sweet? Uh, it's the soul of the apple in liquid form. So it's got all of the sweetness and all of the acidity just concentrated, right? It goes through this cold concentration process outdoors. And that concentration process not only concentrates the sugar, but also concentrates all the aspects of flavor, acid and everything. And so it's just, just think about like the great cider that you have at Gifts Orchard in the fall, the sweet cider, just concentrated down and in a beautiful little dessert drink that you can have at the end of your meal. Pete, anything about the ice cider or the ice cider pairing? I would just describe ice cider, especially Eleanor's, just, just tasting like heaven. It's a, it's, I mean, you can't, can't go wrong with it. It's wonderful. Yep. I echo what Pete said. Yeah. So everyone's happy. So that's kind of it. We're going to call it short. We get time for you guys to ask each other a couple questions. I mean, we're about to start this. This is kind of the kickoff. It's kind of neat that we're at an event and we're recording beforehand and. These are the, the main people. We're not really presenting. We're actually enjoying the meal. And I really love just the attention to detail, Pete. Thank you that you did working with the local farms and the chef and, and getting us this really cool space, the press room in Portsmouth. Um, let's each, if, I think, bet you each have a question for each other. It can be a question about, you know, cider making. Um, I'll, ask, I'll ask Eleanor the question. So with, with, with ice cider, I... I know about it, but I wanted to ask you. Like, I started in wine. I took a sommelier course almost 30 years ago. Dessert wines, the great ones, have botrytis, which is some kind of yeast that, that is involved. And they leave the, the grapes on. They get overripe. Now, that's a different technique. So, that's, so ice cider, though, is something different. Yes. Well, the, the effect is the same in that um, the water is removed from the essence of the fruit. Right, so the botrytis mold does that, and the freezing process does that. It basically freezes the water away from the other aspects of the fruit. So you get, in both cases, this concentrated flavor. 
um, and the best dessert wines across the board, whether you're talking Sauterne or Tokai or Ice Cider, have a great backbone of acidity in addition to the sweetness. And then, Eleanor, um, you, you, you are an ambassador of cider now. I know you're involved with the American Cider Association. Um, for guys like Pete and Giff, do you, do you have questions that you, you typically ask, you know, n- newer cider makers? Uh, That's an awkward question. but <laughs> First of all, I say thank you for joining us on this mission that we have to bring cider to the world. Great cider. I'm, I've, two things. One is I'm so excited about the fact that we've had more recent entries coming into the, the cider industry and that they're coming from this point of view because I think that is nothing but good for our industry. More people who are talking about varieties and making the kind of cider that people want to have with their meal at a restaurant like the press room, the better off we will be because it will lift everybody. Um, And then the second thing is just to say thank you to Pete for all his energy and persistence in putting all of this together. He made it really easy for the rest of us to come along and join him. and I, my question is, will you do more? <laughs> the answer is, with your help, absolutely, I'll do more. Uh, we hope that this comes maybe as even a quarterly thing. You know, I think there's a ton of opportunity here to, to highlight um, regional foods and, and ciders and the combination. And it could even be expanded, too, into other beverages as well. Who knows? But right now, it's pretty fun to be focused on cider. Yeah. Um, cider makers around yeah. to bring in that yeah absolutely there really are so i have i, I did have a, qu- a question um to, uh, for eleanor because she's been at this longer than i have and longer than gif has um and we i mean we often sometimes bash our feel like we're bashing our heads against the wall right trying to educate people about what cider is and what it can be so do you think that at this point in your experience in your career that we've made progress, that you that that there's actually some some developments there. Um, yes, the number of people that will come up and say, "Oh, I'm a cider drinker." Like even five years ago, you never would have heard anybody say that. It's really there has been progress for sure. Um, the 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 growth um, just personally and seeing the growth of our online business and where people are coming to us to buy our stuff from is, um, you know, the the word is spreading. There are great, great cider makers in every region of the country now. Um, And so, so the answer is yes. And we have a long way to go. (laughs) Um, And I think we, we were all talking earlier about the challenge of helping the restaurant trade understand the role that cider can play and how sometimes Still, it feels like we're in what, you know, the old world where it used to be, oh, yeah, I have a beer on the menu. It's a Heineken. And now everybody has a great craft, well-crafted tight beer menu. But they, yeah, I have a cider. So we need to get beyond that. <laughs> Agreed. Pete? I mean, um, Giff. Um, I just think it's, it's, I'm enjoying being part of this cider movement, um, just with the interactions with our customers at the farm and that face-to-face interaction. And, and I, what w- my role, Butternut Farm, we're, we're, we're exposing a lot of new people to cider every day up there uh, where they just want to come in and try it. Um, well, what's the cider thing all about? And that interaction, that opportunity to, 
hopefully introduce them something they enjoy drinking first off and, and want to drink more of. You know, those are our two primary goals. Um, and, and also to create rural sustainability and, and, and that money coming back to the land in some way, shape or form to keep it in production, in agriculture. You know, that's the ultimate goal here, I think, uh, for me anyways. Um, custom interaction, keeping rural farms rural and, and viable. Um, I think we all share that same mission. So for our uh, government officials, so harvest or orchard-based hard cider is good farm policy? 100%. Yeah, we should be encouraging it wherever we can go. Yeah, wherever we can. Yes. And then just going back to the evolution, uh, my own story in 2011, I remember the, some of the first uh, Cider Week New York events were hosted and a couple of them were at my old pub, Jimmy's number 43. And those first couple of years, I remember bringing in good hard ciders from people like Eden and Farnham Hill and, and South Hill and Eves and others, but only for Cider Week. And then it was about around 2015, I think, I started realizing, wow, I should just always have a good hard cider from a, a farm or orchard on draft. So I had it as a regular part of my program. And um, I'm no longer running a spot, but but it's definitely evolved. And I see the same thing with the events we do, with the Cider Feast events, just seeing the interest. So I feel like around 2015, 16, at least in the places I've been, in particular in New York, it, there's definitely people that say, what's your cider? And what I love about cider is that it's at the stage when people want to try everything. You know, it's not like, you know, you go to a beer festival, I'm happy with an IPA, that's probably what I want. But when I, when I, when I, even since 2015, if I put out cider at an event, there's only four cider makers, the people that try the cider want to try every single thing they have. Yeah, 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 that's right. There's the people who have been exposed get really excited and they want to discover. So we just need to get more people exposed. Yeah. And that's what's great about cider is, is there's a huge spectrum of what cider can be. Um, and even here tonight, you know, between the three of us, I feel like there's going to be a pretty big spectrum. Um, so it's, it's exciting because of that. It's a little daunting because of that. You're trying to find your way through this, this maze of making cider and who do I want to be as a cider maker? And um, so it's exciting. There's a lot of opportunity and I'm excited for the customer interaction tonight and hopefully have some good conversations with people who are enjoying all of our cider. Yeah, totally echo what Giff says there. Um, there's a, there's great opportunity there, uh, for, for all of us. Um, that's great. Well, it looks like we're all ready to get set up for the Cider Supper, the Stone's Throw Cider Supper. I love that name, Cider Supper. I know some people from Cider Days are coming. I think that this is a, a great, I think we're definitely going to be doing a Cider Supper at Cider Days. Apparently Lynn Roths and Nichols interested. Um, and I feel like it's, like we'd said, it's it's a way to get good ciders into a restaurant, you know, during a, a festival or a Cider Days or a Cider Week. Um, I think the idea would be you'd have three or four restaurants in Western Mass during Cider Days with four different cider dinners like this. And I think that by doing, people are going to learn and taste. So you guys were amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm just going to say the names again. There's Giff from Butternut Farm Cider House, Pete from Bird Dog Cider, and Eleanor from Eden Cider. Thank you so much for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our engineer, Armin Spengen, who cleans this up. I'm Jimmy Carbonio. We're the host on Beer Sessions Radio. We'll catch you next time. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. 
Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.